Welcome back to the Lair Cryptic Crew. From Bram Stoker's Dracula to Anne Rice's Lestat to the sparkling creations of Stephanie Meyer, vampires and pop culture have been a source of horror, fascination, and even lust. The lure of immortality, wealth, and sex appeal is almost irresistible to the average mortal. I want to suck your blood is probably one of the most iconic lines in horror cinema, but was never actually uttered in the 1937 film. And, like Bela Lugosi's infamous line, vampires are all just fiction, right? Right? <laughs> well, grab your salt, your iron, Fill some balloons with holy water and get yourself a braid of garlic, cryptic crew. We're off to explore tales of the origin of the vampire. Welcome to another episode of Cryptically Yours Creepy Tales. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at crypticallyyours.com become an official member of the cryptic crew not only will you keep up to date on the latest news and happenings but we'll be sending out a special invite to a halloween discord live chat you can also look for us on your favorite social media platform be sure to check out the website for links and details While most of us instantly think of Dracula when the word vampire is mentioned, Bram Stoker didn't create vampires. In fact, his wasn't even the first novel on the subject, since the vampire was written in 1819 by John William Polidori, 78 years before Dracula. Fun fact, seems that Polidori kind of maybe stole the story from Lord Byron, who told it in a storytelling contest with Polidori and Mary Shelley. The same contest is actually the origins for Frankenstein as well, but that's not what we're looking at in this episode. One of the earliest known vampires was Sekhmet, an ancient Egyptian goddess sent to Earth by her father Ra, the sun god, to punish humans. She went off the rails a little bit. <laughs> Who am I kidding? She went completely off the rails and refused to stop drinking blood when ordered. So, what's a dad to do? In this case, Rob died about a beer red, which caused Sekhmet to pass out for a couple of days after gulping it down. When she woke up, Daddy Ra had changed her into a cow. Ancient Mesopotamia had vampires too, as mentioned in a poem, talking about several evil spirits, which leaves no doubt as to the nature of the creepy things. Seven are they, knowing no care, they grind the land like corn. Knowing no mercy, they rage against mankind. They spill their blood like rain, devouring their flesh and sucking their veins. They are demons full of violence, ceaselessly devouring blood. 
A surprising amount of origin lore has vampires being portrayed as solely a female issue. Jewish folklore mentions several female vamps. The first, and probably most important, would be Lilith, who was said to have been Adam's first wife. In a late 17th or 18th century Kabbalah document, a translation of the Zohar was found, which included a few lines of Yiddish, dialogue between the prophet Elijah and Lilith. She had come to kill a mother, take the newborn, and drink her blood, suck her bones, and eat her flesh. Two other vampires were named. Daughter of the demon king Ashmedai steals the breath of a man who betrayed her, and another describes a vampire named Astrea who uses her hair to drain victims of blood. And, in case that wasn't enough vampire lore, there are also estries, female vampires who preyed on Hebrew citizens. Estries were demons in the form of beautiful women who dined on human blood. It's said they could transform at will into spirit or animal, as well as fly, but only if their hair was loose. If it was bound, they're likewise bound to the earth. While they can heal accidental wounds by drinking blood, if they're wounded by a person, they have to receive bread and salt to eat from the same individual, or can't heal. Unlike modern vamps, estries prefer the night, but they aren't forced to hide during the day. And forget about using holy water or a cross on an estuary. Not only does it have zero effect, but it said estuaries would purposely go into a religious area to ask for healing, because to help an estuary is considered a foul, evil act, and would therefore curse the poor soul who was only trying to help what they believed to be an injured or sick woman. So, if holy symbols and places won't protect you, how do you deal with an estuary? Traditionally, if she's supposedly dead, fill her mouth with earth. But, if she's running towards you, a large blade of some sort or a flamethrower is pretty much your only defense, as your only hope of survival is to decapitate her or burn her into ash. However, as vampire lore has evolved, so has the lore of the estuary. They're now said to have some of the same vulnerabilities as the modern vamps, such as silver and wooden stakes. Me, personally? I'd stick with the flamethrower. Enjoying the show? I'd love to hear from you. Drop a comment below or visit us at crypticleors.com. You can sign up for the newsletter, become an official member of the Cryptic Crew, and receive a special invite to a live Halloween chat. If you have a suggestion for a future episode, drop it in a comment either here or on our website. Who knows? Your idea could be our next creepy tale. Reviews would also be welcome on Podchaser, as well as your favorite podcast platform. For another story in keeping with the females' as vamps theme, we'll head to the Philippines for the tales of the Mononongle. The Mononongle, like Estries, spent her days as a beautiful woman, 
She was said to live a typical human life, even having a spouse. But at night, everything changed. She'd split her body in half, sprout wings, and go hunting for dinner, her intestines dangling in the breeze. She'd perch on a house roof and use her tongue to invade the bedroom and puncture the sleeping victim's body. Picture a giant mosquito with the tongue that a boa constrictor would have length envy from. Tasty snacks from the Mononongo were phlegm from sick people, heart, liver, and blood. But her favorites? Pregnant women. Mononongos were often blamed for miscarriages and stillbirths. Some claim that during the day, she'd lure men in her beautiful woman disguise, stash them until after dark, and then eat them alive. The modern uncle has several interesting points that seem to be the origin for more popular vampire mythology, all dealing in how to destroy one. There are two ways to kill a modern uncle. First is to find her bottom half and sprinkle it with salt, ashes, or garlic. She'll be unable to reattach her top half and die in the sunlight. The second way is to sneak up on her and stab her from behind with a bamboo spear. So, if you're keeping count, cryptic crew, that gives us garlic, sunlight, and staking. But unlike the vampires, being a victim is definitely a one-way street and not how to get turned. Folklore states that a Mononongle will cough up a black chick and that the Mononongle wannabe will then swallow it whole, which causes the transformation. To prevent the transition, the advice is to suspend the potential Mononongle by her feet and spin her like a top until she vomits up the chick. And if spinning doesn't work, beating her in the abdomen with a stick is advised. Now, we're going to hop over to China, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> to look at the Chongxi, or the stiff corpse, which are basically a hybrid of vampire and zombie. Chongxi are evil spirits that drain people of their life energy. No blood exchange or swallowing birds for the Chongxi, either. It's created by a soul being unable to leave its body, usually due to a sudden or traumatic death such as being murdered. Also, not being given a proper burial is said to result in a restless spirit unable to move on and end up re-inhabiting the body. The more rare option is to have the body struck by lightning. I wonder if Mary Shelley knew about the Chongxi. Anyway, appearing in the uniform of a Qing Dynasty official with long white hair, white and green skin, due to mold that grows on corpses, of course, and long nails. They hop around rather than walk or fly, although some say that as they grow in power and strength, they'll gain both the ability to fly and transform into wolves. It's blind and hunts by sound, so if one's around, freeze in place and hold your breath as long as you can. Unlike the typical vampire, there are a myriad of ways to defeat the Chongxi. This includes showing it its reflection, tossing money on the floor because it's forced to stop and count it, much like fairy are with salt or sugar, the urine of a virgin boy, and chicken eggs. 
Sounds like the Chongxi would have a really bad time around Halloween, or even at a frat party. And maybe it's just me, but a hopping vampire seems like it would be pretty easy to outrun. At least until I discovered a source that claimed the hops were powerful enough to have the Chongxi appear in front of you from out of nowhere. Greek mythology seems to be one of the origins for males being the start of the whole vampire gig. Ambrosio was an Italian adventurer who headed to Delphi to get a reading from the oracle. After his meeting with her, he was hanging around outside considering what she'd said and met her sister, Celine. The two of them promptly fell in love and Ambrosio asked Celine to go back to Italy with him. Unfortunately, this didn't please Apollo in the slightest, who's more than a wee bit possessive of his temple maidens, as god and goddesses tend to be. He laid a curse on Ambrosio so that his skin burned in the sunlight. It was a nifty trick because it ensured that the poor guy fled to a dark cave instead of meeting with Selene the next morning. So, what's a guy to do? Well, if you're stuck in a cave and not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you make a deal with Hades and use your soul as a down payment. The rest of the bargain? To steal Artemis's silver bow and hand it over to the god of the underworld. Aha. Uh-huh. And that, my cryptic crew, worked about as well as you think. Ambrosio got a hold of the bow, but Artemis quickly noticed and issued a fun little curse of her own, so that silver burned and Ambrosia was forced to drop it. Not quite as powerful as her brother's sunburn 3000, but it certainly did the job. Take a moment to consider this poor guy, Kirpty Crew. His skin now burns in sunlight, silver also burns, and he didn't manage to get his soul back from Hades' pawn shop. This is about where Ambrosio seems to gain a little bit of sense. He goes and grovels to Artemis for mercy, explaining how this whole mess got started. She felt bad for the guy, apparently, and gifted him immortality, speed, strength, fangs, and feeding on blood. At this point, you begin to wonder if this is a gift or a worsening of the curse. But wait. There's more. No bargain with the god or goddess comes for free. There's always a price. For Ambrosio, he had to dedicate himself to the goddess Artemis and, like her, remain a virgin. Selene, the temple maiden he'd fallen in love with to start this old mess, receives a note asking her to meet him on board a ship. She discovers a coffin in the hall with a note telling her to leave it alone until after sunset. Rather than screaming her head off, diving overboard and swimming like hell to the mainland, she sticks it out and the couple live happily for many years, at least until Celine ages and became ill. Another deal with Artemis later and Ambrosia was allowed to touch his love for the first and last time in order to drink her blood. After he drained her, her spirit was raised up to the heavens and met with Artemis at the moon. 
Selene became the goddess of moonlight. Newly created vampires are considered to be the children of Ambrosio and Selene, carrying both their blood. And each night that the moon is visible, Selene is able to touch the man she loves and their children. As for Ambrosio, well, with his love returned to moonlight, he returned to Italy and is said to have begun the first vampire clan, or kiss if you're a fan of the show Supernatural. Speculation is that the clan grew too large and infighting caused it to split up and scatter around the globe. I have so much more vampire lore to share with you, Cryptic Group, so make sure to tune in next week for part two, when I'll be exploring lore from Scotland, Ireland, France, and New Orleans. I'm afraid that's all there is for this episode, Cryptic Crew. So, do you think tonight's creepy tale was fact, fiction, or somewhere in between? You can drop a comment below, head over to crypticlyyours.com, or hunt us down on your favorite social media platform. Return to the lair next week and discover what else we've dug up for you. This is Grace Stone, your host, reminding you to always keep it creepy, cryptids. <laughs>